Welcome to all those tuning in to the Southwest Climate Podcast. As always, I'm here with the irrepressible, indomitable Mike Crimmins. Hey, Zach. Welcome back. Thank you, Mike. I missed June, which is good because one of the topics that we want to uh, discuss is the recap of June. So I'm going to have to ask you what the heck happened. Um, We actually have a ton to talk about today. We have the June recap, which provided some very interesting, uh, interesting weather, including a couple tropical hurricanes. And we went from spring. No, we went from winter. Yeah, we to, were trying to figure this out. When, to when summer. Did, our seasons got a little bit uh, blenderized th- this year. We had a little bit of winter in March, a little bit of summer in April. We did most of spring in, in February and then uh, winter in May. It's been a mismatch. <laughs> it's been a mismatch because, because May. You weren't was, supposed to follow that. Yeah, but, if anybody's trying to, trying to write that down. On but there. May, which I believe you guys have already talked about, May was very, very cool. May was cool in so many respects. Cool in so many ways. And June has been interesting, so we'll talk about June as well. Before we get into uh, discussions about the monsoon, thankfully, climate purgatory, that is is June, is is nearing an end uh, as the monsoon system has has set up. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, our favorite topic, ENSO, the El Nino Southern Oscillation. There's a lot, lot to talk about here, some, some apocalyptic Enso scenarios. Yeah, it could be Enso end times. Yeah, Enso end times. Yep. Well, great. So I think we're gonna we're gonna dub this when we talk about Enso in the monsoon, the breaking climate news. So, I love it. I know. So we'll yep. talk about new new stuff that's just just come out. So uh, stick with us on that. Okay, Mike. Let's let's go over June. So again, we went from winter, and it was we, basically we, we went from from April. To July in a couple in a couple days. In what month was did 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 April happen in April or are you talking about April and May or July and May or June? And, I'm I'm talking about April in the early part of June and then July in the middle part. That's of June. right. Yep. So yeah, um, Ben and I talked while you were gone and and talked about how May was unusually wintry and then summer kind of built in a little bit at the end of the month started warming back up on track and then we had. Uh, we had some really interesting storm activity at the beginning of the month, both kind of cold fronts still kind of lurking um, coming out of the Pacific Northwest, and then tropical storms to, to interact with. So there's a lot of uh, kind of a playground of weather across the East Pacific. So we had three tropical storms in, in, in June. We had Andres. That was about around the you know, right second or so. The, yeah, kind of the beginning, end of, end of May, beginning of the month. Andres provided some, actually... It was an assist. It was an assist, yeah. a precipitation assist. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I do believe that there was record precipitation at the Phoenix airport. Of, I think it was a trace. It yeah. was of one hundredth one one hundredth of an inch. Was it one? Oh, it was. It was. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's, that's record breaking. That's a smashing, smashing record. But we did have moisture uh, waft into the region because of Andres, but and Bl- Blanca, Hurricane Blanca, on around June 9th. Yep, wandered up the Gulf of California. And then most recently, Carlos, which didn't. Provide. Carlos was a little bit of an underperformer. I was I was disappointed with his his overall um, play at the uh, the last quarter there. Talk to us about Andres. Andres was the first uh, named storm of the East Pacific tropical storm season. Kind of had a track that was wandering around the East Pacific. Basically, it was taking its typical path that they, the storms usually do, which is they usually form and then they move off towards the west. But we actually had a cold front, sort of a trough of low pressure that was off the California coast, was able to actually pull some of that moisture up into Arizona. And remember, this is the end of May, beginning of June, when we're supposed to be at like 5% relative humidity. And all of a sudden, we had all this this humidity work its way into the region and some uh, some weather system to actually uh, wring it out and make some rainfall. It, it Climatologically, the driest time of the year. 
Blanca was actually we ha- we had some of that the remnants of Blanca move over the move over the region. Yeah, so you know Andres again was an assist, but um, Blanca went for the slam dunk and actually brought its moisture and its its weak circulation right up into Arizona around that sort of early part of June. On the eighth or ninth, I'm looking at the Tucson Airport uh, dew point daily tracker, and dew points at that date were uh, 65 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> I remember it too. I think actually, if you looked at the hourly data, there was a, there was some dew point readings that were 70 degrees Fahrenheit. So I mean, we hit Key West weather there for a little while. There. Oh, it was it was, it was weird, dude. It was weird. <laughs> it was sticky. Um, yeah. And looking at these dew points, for the most part, they've been above average throughout this entire month of, of June, and, and some of them actually cresting that sort of threshold, 54-degree Fahrenheit threshold level that has been historically associated with the onset of the monsoon. We're supposed to see the, the moisture sort of seep in from the south as you get towards the middle of the month and the end of the month, but here we did it. We were at the beginning of the month, and we were getting tropical moisture. Again, not not monsoonal by any means. It was just some slugs of trop- tropical moisture. It dried out a little bit, but we've been really riding above average. And even here in the third week, third week of June, now into the to the last week of June, that monsoonal moisture is ahead of schedule. And that probably has helped uh, dampen, if you will, dampen the fire season. Yeah, the the fire, the fire season in Arizona has been has been really interesting. The the big fire story here in Arizona was a riparian area mm-hmm. that caught on fire. A salt cedar uh, area at Kearney, which is mm-hmm. uh, north here of Tucson, caught in fire and burned burned some houses, burned out of control for, I think, over a week. That was the big sort of fire story where all the fire resources was uh, actually a riparian area to, to try to um, control these invasive species growing along the river. Every other fire that's caught been been lightning started as as far as I know. There've probably been a couple of, of human caused too, but they've been primarily managed as wildland fire use, and they've been sort of shoved around to to burn the understory and, and knock back some of the fuels. Not, so it's not that kind threatening. Of, no, it's been a perfect season for using fire in a in a managed way. Yeah, and the height of the fire season tends to be in in June and July, and obviously when the monsoon gets fully ramped up and uh, and the the landscape becomes wetter than 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 it is currently then the the risk of fire goes down and so we probably well, i don't know you know one event can 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 blow it this can, i think that that's really unlikely because you know we're really at the tail end here humidity's up the rain's actually already set into the southwest it would it have to be some crazy misstep in the monsoon for us to have some some big problems i think that i think may really took the the risk down. Yeah, the cool west. conditions in May. Cool and wet. Cool yeah, and wet, the yeah. cool and wet. Um, even right. not having this. I mean, I think we were looking at a, a much more dangerous situation coming out earlier in the spring in April. You know, we were looking at no snowpack, warm conditions at that point, not knowing that May was going to end up being sort of record wet, record cold. Things were looking pretty pretty nasty at that point. I, I think at this point we're we're probably out of the woods. We'll probably deal with some more fires, but I bet they'll just shove them around. So I just want to point this out because I'm looking at the data now and point out how enormous the fire season was in 2011. Oh, yeah. Nearly 1.3 million acres yeah. burned in New Mexico yep. and close to a million acres burned in Arizona. We haven't experienced anything like that on record, nor in the last three years since has the fire season been particularly bad. And I think you could, you could take this spring and that spring and they would be as far apart on a scale as possible because of that May was so windy and so dry relative to this May. I think that, you know, if you organize them and rank them, they'd probably be at complete opposite ends of each other. So, so that gets into the monsoon. 
by my view, the monsoon, the classic monsoon pattern has has set up where the winds has shifted uh, for the most part. We're getting them out of the south southeasterly. We've got that high pressure system that's built over the Four Corners region, a little bit to the north, even into even into Nevada. That's bringing um, some evicting some moisture up from from the south. What's been your perception so far, Mike, of uh, of this monsoon? We kind of look at the sort of progression from early June into now. I, I, I'm going to be really honest, though, that I, I was I was super skeptical about this monsoon season sort of setting up the way that it is today. And again, I'm, I'm not sure it's going to hang in there, but I'm going to try to put my sort of positive pants on right now and, and see if we can sort of carry this forward. What, but what, what does your negative pants look like? Oh, I wear them most days. Yeah. They're, they're my, they're my lucky pants. Are they, are they, are they blue? <laughs> they're blue. Of course they're blue. Yes. Aren't everybody's? Okay. Um, I think we can really point back to the pattern in May, the cool and wet really had an El Nino signature in it. We expect the monsoon ridge to be sort of impacted by this El Nino pattern. But I think what's actually happened in the last couple of weeks is that that pattern has actually slowed down a little bit. It's quieted down in the Pacific it's allowed the ridge to build in, I think, in a in a, a pretty robust way. But the El Nino, the Enso, is yeah. still. I'm kind of jumping the gun here on our discussion. Yeah, well, but, the but yeah. it's, it's. I should just it shouldn't just enjoy where we are right now, right? <laughs> Rather than worrying about two weeks from well, now. Well, be, before getting into the Enso, which is still like in on full throttle, it's it is like, on full and throttle, speeding yeah. up. That the statistics, the reason you were saying what you were saying is because the statistics, which admittedly it's a small sample size, yeah. but it tends to suppress monsoon during an El Nino, it tends to suppress early monsoon activity. Yeah. But when you look a little bit deeper into those uh, statistics, it's, it, it's pretty noisy. It's pretty noisy. Yeah, it's pretty noisy. And I don't think the mechanism is all that. I mean, there's so many other moving parts um, that, you know, it's like a Swiss watch. It's got a lot of different gears that have got to mesh up. And I think that that's, that's kind of the story behind the monsoon this year with the tropical moisture in the East Pacific all sorts of other, you know, wiggles in the jet stream around the globe right now. We're in a, I think we're, like you're saying, and I guess I'll just be positive right now, is that Monsoon Ridge is set up. It's in a very good spot. It's built very, very far to the north. The If you've been hearing about the record heat in the Pacific Northwest right now, I mean, there's some temperatures in um, Oregon and Washington that are way, way, way warmer than Arizona right now, like 111, 110. That's another evidence that that ridge is, is built very, very far to the north of us. So that means that we're on the southern... Um, side of the high pressure and that means that the winds are out of the east and so that's yeah we're in that really favorable easterly flow right now so i'm looking at the north north american multi-model ensemble forecasts for the july august september period six of the seven actually have a have a wet signal over the the southwest only yeah. only one of them doesn't and then when you put those all together and you do the multi-model ensemble of course that gives you uh, a wet signal too over much of the interior west aside from california which is a bummer for them although they don't get this isn't their time anyway they have already seen a little bit of this this monsoon moisture work its way over to them right now too and so i you know i think they were kind of hoping well i don't know maybe they weren't hoping at all to have some of that repeat monsoon activity that they had last year the the downside um, with that is they got had a whole lot of lightning and they caught a whole lot of stuff on fire so i think that that's sort of the double-edged sword mm. of having that monsoon stuff move into California. Yeah, they're really, and we'll, we'll get to this in a minute, they're really looking for the, the El Nino to be a savior, so to speak. Of, Holy moly, yeah. Yep. Which, you know, if it turns into a strong event, the, that sort of bears out more likely for wet conditions in, in California. But back to the monsoon forecast, I mean, this is pretty optimistic for, for many of these models are signaling this. you have any thoughts on what 
what's going on? I'm not sure. And and this is this is one of those things that the months the models they've been suggesting this sort of wet July, August, September or above average precip signal. They've they've suggested this for six months now, and it's been in lockstep with the strengthening El Nino. So they see some sort of pattern here of way of moving moisture up here into the into the southwest that is maybe not sort of canonical with with the with the El Nino impacts. My guess is that there's there's that tropical influences in there for the rest of the summer as well. So you know, hey, we can maybe I'll I'll stop being so negative. So for those who are interested, Mike on his website uh, has these really cool monsoon monsoon images, monsoon plots. What do you call them? I don't know. Monsoonograms. Monsoonograms. It's got a ton of information on them. And so I'm looking at one of these state maps, and it shows. Uh, that some of the high areas, the higher elevation areas, including even in the south of Cochise County, has already seen some of the influx of monsoon moisture, and there's been precipitation there. By and large, of course, it's still early. Uh, many, many areas haven't seen uh, monsoon rain yet, but the, the pattern seems to be set up, and it's uh, it's prime for for the monsoon to flare up. So hopefully that'll... Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually found myself being a little bit rough on the monsoon the last couple of days. Like, oh, this is just so disappointing and, and not remembering that it's only the, you know, it's still June for goodness sake. So historically, the average start date is around the third in, for Tucson area. I mean, yeah. it, it gets later in the summer as you go further north and earlier as you go into New Mexico, but historically it's around third of, of July. You know, if you play the statistics game, earlier the monsoon comes in, the more likely it is that you'll have total precipitation above average. Yeah. An early onset usually correlates with an above average. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and again, it could slow down a bit. You know, we could be into the, the beginning of July here and we have a couple of more breaks before things really set So what, what would shut it down? The, basically the wiggling of the ridge. The, if that subtropical high sort of sags to the south and puts us more in sort of a uh, southwesterly flow, that could, that could quiet us down a little bit. What about if it moves north and west? Because in some of the shorter... Yeah, that's right. We were looking at that. That can, that can slow things down too. But what you end up in those situations is that, is that you can have these kind of recycle the moisture or you can pull moisture in from, from some other locations. You can get into some weird patterns too, where you get like big lines of thunderstorms that move, that form in the central part of Arizona and can move down in the low desert. So it's, it, that is its own kind of pattern at that point. We actually saw that pattern set up um, a bit last summer. That may not be all that bad either. June has been has been so strange for me. Maybe this whole sort of spring has has messed with me so much as far as having stuff out of order. I'm not really sure what time of year it is anymore. Well, again, for those that uh, didn't get it, we had summer in February, we had spring over most of the winter, and we had winter in June. We need to write this down though, <laughs> sort of re- reorder the calendar. So another part to the monsoon equation though is the surges um, that yeah. come up the Gulf of California um, from tropical. Tropical depressions, uh-huh. tropical storms, hurricanes. Yep. We've already seen three hurricanes. If you look at the hurricane forecast, East Pacific tends to receive above average uh, hurricane activity during El Nino events. And it that, does. That again was forecasted for this year. However, there's some complication to yeah, that. Yeah, I, th- I think, and again, remember, we're talking about Pacific. So it's not just the ones that impact us. Is we just assume they all come visit um, the Southwest. Right. But, Some actually form further yeah, out and, and go West. Most of them, you look at a lot of the busy seasons, most of them are, they go out to sea. They go off to the West. And that's just because of, if you think about the monsoon ridge, the winds out of the East, and it should steer things out to the West there. What we've seen actually over the last couple of weeks, we had a real lot of activity at the early part of the month. And then I, I was, you know, watching some information come out from the 
National Hurricane Center sort of talking about how quiet the East Pacific has been because of the sheer, you know, very, very strong winds at upper levels of the atmosphere right now down in the East Pacific. It's just been tearing everything apart. So you can't really get any good organization. You have to have a lot of that moisture, a lot of that warm sea surface temperatures allow those clusters of thunderstorms to sort of form on their own accord. And then that'll, that'll get them to, um, to eventually sort of organize into to depressions. But the shear, which would be which would be the result of differential in wind speeds in, yeah, in the atmosphere. Exactly. Differential that tears speed. them apart. Tears them apart. Yeah. That's that's you want to have a really quiet, you want to dim the lights, you wanna sort of turn up the heat a little bit, you want to make it dark in the room. You, that's that's good for uh, tropical storm formation. So so this is where I think it gets complicated with, with El Nino because El Nino's tend to enhance the subtropical jet, the, the really fast winds coming out of the west. But those can also increase shear? I think so. I think there's a little bit of that. There's a couple of things at play in the East Pacific. That I think that's also part of the reason why is you get this other southern coast of Mexico is I think where some of that, that impact actually starts to pick up and where you see sort of suppressed activity during El Nino events. So we'd sort of look to them being out in the East Pacific a little bit further north, mm. ones that will probably wander a little bit further out to the west too. So since the atmosphere is, is so engaged with El Nino this year, it's it doesn't it's not going to look like last summer. I think in a lot of respects, that environment last summer was um, lots of warm water, a not engaged atmosphere. Um, so maybe it was even a little bit better environment for these tropical storms to form. Right, and for all those that were remembering the sort of El Nino tease, it was that the the sea surface temperatures were ready to go. They were ready to go. Yeah, I was trying to think of some better you know all those analogies we were throwing around last year about like you know the ocean and and the atmosphere wanting to dance and stuff like that. I just I kept thinking that it was almost like they were off in corners of the room stretching, getting ready for some <laughs> yeah. like break. Calisthenics. Like, yeah, exactly. Getting ready like, to jump into the, in the yeah. game, but the coach never called them. It you know, it's like the exactly. bench warmer. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> it's like, right. Stuff. So, but they're ready to go now. They're, does that bring they, back memories? I, it does. It does. <laughs> it does. It does bring back some bad memories. Thanks, Zach. <laughs> Which is why I'm in, uh, in weather nerddom now. So not professional <laughs> yeah. sports. Right. So last year we had enhanced uh, hurricane activity in East Pacific. And this year, again, there's been calls for that, but this, this mounting, very optimistically mounting El Nino yeah. is... I'm not calling off the tropical storm season here for the summer. I don't, I don't want to say that at all. It's only quieted down for a week. We still got a lot of summer left, but um, I think it'll be a little bit of a sab and flow because again, there's, there's just, a, the, there's so much going on now in the atmosphere with this, this El Nino. Okay. So I think we should be clear here. What we're going to say about El Nino is categorically different than what we said last year, even though we're going to say the same thing. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> no, Wait, so we need to get the lawyers to check that statement out first. I think that that that's probably we good. were in a we were in uh, an El Nino last year early on, particularly in the was that using our definition or the official definition? That's confusing. We'll check me. the lawyer. We'll check with the lawyers on that one again too. The El Nino last year looked good for a while until the atmosphere didn't didn't cooperate. The El Nino of this year is different than that. Now the different, the key difference, uh, while we are very El Nino-ish, the key difference though is in the atmosphere. Are you talking you and I as in being El Nino-ish, or or just in general? El no, in general. Okay, in I would general. consider you El Nino-ish. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I should take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll talk to the lawyers again about that too. That's fine. So you're right. This year, I'm sorry, I was totally misleading you on this whole this whole adventure here. The ocean had showed up. The sea surface temperatures were moving towards El Nino even a year ago as we were talking about this, right? We were pretty excited about this thing um, eight, even 18 months ago. 
the atmosphere didn't right didn't show up this year however boy yeah right now let's talk about right now right now yeah i'll even go back a couple months because that's when i it really really started to show up the atmosphere really started to show that it was paying attention to el nino in the sea surface temperatures in april right and we've we've had these sort of westerly what they call these westerly wind bursts mm-hmm. these westerly wind bursts that can really help suppress the easterly flow, mm-hmm. the, the trade winds in the east, and allow that sort of warm water to slosh back from, from the west to the east, warming up the eastern part of the, the Pacific Ocean, really uh, accentuating the sea surface temperatures, which then feed back onto the atmosphere. So it's these wind, wind bursts that are actually critical that didn't, it didn't happen last year. Well, we did. We, ha- we had a couple even a year. We even had a couple 18 months ago, which is what set the whole sea surface temperature pattern in motion. What we didn't have was we didn't have the convection follow along with it and sort of reinforce that. So, you know, we had the warm water move into the East Pacific, but we never really saw the clusters of thunderstorms and the breakdown in the Easterlies. The Easterlies were sort of screaming over it counter to that warm water sloshing all last year. And it wasn't really, and we still had those westerly wind bursts occurring releasing some more of that warm water. The warm water kept building up in the East Pacific, but it wasn't until basically this spring that you really started to see that whole area of thunderstorm activity move to the Central Pacific and mm-hmm. even the Eastern Pacific, and then really caused the Easterlies to collapse. And then subsequently, we had more westerly wind bursts, which kept um, sending over more and warm water from the West Pacific. And so the temperatures now of the sea surface temperature in, in the sea surfaces in distinct regions is uh, warmer than it was last year. Yes. So everything is, is on the, it's, it's warmer than it was last year. The thunderstorm activity is in the right spot, which is reinforcing that. And um, we're even looking as you go forward at more westerly wind bursts. Another one is actually setting up right now, which is expected to be very strong, which could send yet again another slug of warm water this direction. So now we're breaking climate news. We're exactly, which is an oxymoron. It is an oxymoron, and, and it's it's as fast as we move on anything um, in in our professional lives here is sort of climate time scales. Yes. Okay, so these we've been breaking this story for eighteen months. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. who else can break a story for eighteen months? <laughs> so the you know actually this Enso has I, I've been seeing and I even saw it in Market Watch. People Thank are you. people are paying attention to right. this. Part of the reason that they're paying attention to it is, and we said this last year, is it's looking a lot like uh, some of the bigger events in in the, in the past. I know Battlecry '97. I yeah. say we 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 pull it back out again. But so so 1997, 1998 was the largest uh, El Nino event on on record, and it and it went down in history as 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 causing global global impacts that mm-hmm. had yep. huge economic uh, consequences. Right. So it's not something to necessarily make light of unless no, you're a climatologist a and you actually look forward to this. Stuff. I know. And it's, we're certainly not hoping for any disastrous consequences. But, but indeed, um, there are global um, impacts that occur with events of this magnitude. And you already start to see slowdown in rainfall in Africa. Caribbean as well, which the is Caribbean, which, which is where I was. They've yeah, had drought. Were, they had drought right. last year. They're looking like they're serious. Drought. Drought. I was yeah. in, in Puerto Rico. There's water restrictions. Very, very dire situation there. Upside is is that it's huge, a huge player in the Atlantic hurricane season, um, which should dramatically limit that probably through the rest of the season. But again, it only takes one storm there. And then you'll you'll look in Indonesia and Australia. You'll have drought problems over there. And then you'll start to see some impacts in South America, even in the summertime here too. So, but we're not even in the core 
and so impact season right now, right? That's right. It's, it's the winter. It's Northern Hemisphere summer, yeah. and we need to be looking towards the winter to see when this thing really has some impacts. So currently, though, the sea surface temperatures in uh, a few key regions um, surpass or are equal to the 97, 98. Right. So there's some record um, warmth in certain parts of the region for June even relative to 1997. And um, it's not quite as warm. It's a little bit behind in the East Pacific. It's not quite as warm as it was in 97. It's warmer in the Central Pacific than it was in 1997. And again, looking at this westerly wind burst that's setting up right now, the expectation is, is that it'll send yet another slug of warm water that will make its way across the Pacific through the next couple of months for liability. And this is, this is reflective in the sort of probabilistic f- forecasts looking out from uh, that are produced by the Climate Prediction Center and the International Research Institute for Climate and Society, IRI. They're calling for a greater than 85% chance that this El Nino do- will persist through the, yeah. through the winter. So it's a lock on, which are probabilities, higher probabilities than I've seen. I, well, I, know, I don't think I've seen them in my career. I haven't seen them that, that sort of locked in as, in, in at that high. So it's, you know, it's almost a sure bet that we're going to be seeing El Nino conditions through, through the next winter into the next spring. There's still some squishiness on the um, absolute magnitude of the event. I think that there's, there's still some uncertainty surrounding that. But, boy, every week we, we get a little bit further into this and into the summer season and closer to fall. You still see the models really settling in on um, moderate to strong events. The strength matters. If you sort of parse out the impact, the precipitation impact by strength of El Nino, so weak, moderate, or stronger, and lumping strong and very strong together, for weak events, it tends to be a sort of flip of the coin for for Arizona and for for California for most of California. The moderate to strong events produce the opposite. So that's particularly important for obviously California, who's, you know, in the last three or four years are almost facing an entire year's worth yeah, of precipitation full deficit. Year deficit. Yeah. Now, again, these are small sample sizes, but it's what we have to work with. And when you couple that with some of the dynamical model predictions, which are calling for enhanced or above average precipitation in, in, in the winter, you feel a little bit more confident. Um, so that's, that's more or less where we are looking out with, with Enso. Any, any last parting shots on, on Enso? No. And I, I think that it really is going to be a matter of the ultimate strength of it for the impacts that we see, even here in Arizona too. It's, you know, we're kind of all in this together as far as whether this thing, um, come, I, I just don't think it's got the potential for weakening a whole lot given its trajectory, given the stuff that's kind of coming together in the Pacific right now, the timing of it. Um, so I think we're set up for probably a moderate to strong event. And the models then taking that moderate to strong event and that signal in the, the ocean translate that into an atmospheric pattern with a really, really strong um, subtropical jet as we get into sort of October and November. And then they sort of drag that out through the whole winter, which sets up that parade of storms across the southwest that you see during these moderate to strong events, which is why you, you see these in the past bringing flooding events. So, you know, California has had some of their record flooding disasters um, with some of these really strong El Nino events, which is why we, we think back to 97, 98. They may get a whole lot of what they're asking for all at once and in maybe sort of a catastrophic way. Um, and we've had flooding events here in the Southwest too that are related to El Nino events too. So, you know, it's it's now start to, it's going to be good, I think, for the long-term drought situation, but at the same time, it's going to be... Um, Something we need to keep an eye on from a from a flooding standpoint, even going forward. It's a weird thing to talk about coming out of this 
uh, drought period we've had in the last couple of years. If this in fact turns into a strong event, something on the order of, uh, you know, the 97, 98 event, or even, even if it's slightly w- weaker than that, it's going to, you know, beg the question, are we going to be as sort of in societal response? Are we better off than we were in 97, 98? We certainly know a lot more about ENSO. Yeah. We've also had some false starts, you know, um, but, one, most people have heard of ENSO, which they didn't in 97, 98. That really put the, the term on the map for many people. And, and of course that had large, um, economic consequences and consequences on, on people's livelihoods. You know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how we, we've prepared for, for this event. And it's this, you know, classic thing of living out here in the West where you swing wildly from, from drought to flood. Just as you're getting your head around a drought situation, you get hammered with the flood. Then you forget about drought, and then you stop planning for drought, and then you get hit with a flood again. And so here we are in that sort of um, cycle again here in the Southwest. So we'll have to, to remember what our flood preparation is. And then, you know, these El Nino events, they go away, and, and it's in no way am I suggesting a forecast here. But we could do this because we're on this sort of 18-month climate breaking news cycle here. So we can already start talking about the next La Nina event, which <laughs> would which you get. Well, and I joke a little bit, but... What happened after the 97-98 event was that very sharp transition into a deep La Nina event, which set up, you know, the 2002 drought. Again, not suggesting that. We've got uh, 18 months to break that story um, coming up here. Well, we'll leave it at that. Um, okay, so uh, we'll come back in a, in a month, and the monsoon would be ripping along, hopefully. And, you know, the ENSO would probably not have deviated much from this conversation, but there'll be new nuances. Yeah, I... I Again, this westerly wind burst, I think, is going to be in our climate breaking news. We watch that evolve over a series of weeks and uh, see what it does. But, yeah, this thing is just cranking now, and it's it's. Uh, I think it's only heading one direction. Get, Get your galoshes the- out, right? I don't even know what a galosh I mean, is. This so. is the most interesting time in, in, in southwest climate to be paying attention. It, it is. the monsoon, it, and you got in potentially very intense El Nino evolving. I mean, this... Yeah, this, this doesn't get any better. It than It doesn't this. get any better than this. Yeah, and, and boy, it's so much more interesting to talk about than it than it not raining. So, <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, Mike, again as always. Thanks, so Zach. We'll, Welcome back. Thank you. We'll, we'll, we'll come back in a month. <laughs> the blooper reel is going to be <laughs> it's going to be a terabyte. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I was I was me. I was. Knee deep in Grantland basketball. I was not <laughs> <laughs> That's 44. <laughs> you had yep. an 